Hey everybody, and thanks again for joining me for another episode of the NHS 100K podcast with me, Matt Taylor. New hoodie, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, there we go. Bit of uh, self-merchandise. We haven't got it in mass-produced, but if enough people want one, then then great. I don't know how I'll sort it, but anyway, it's not kind of that thing. So today we've got John O'Looney. Um, some of you may know him, some of you may not, but he's <laughs> he's got some, some crazy stuff to tell us. Um, and I've had to narrow down a lot of my questions, um, but um, we'll... Go back to the beginning, I think, as best we can, because there's people on here that know you and there'll be people that, that don't as well, John. Yeah, okay. so, anyway, welcome to the show. Anyway, thanks for joining me, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name's John O'Looney. I'm, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, an undertaker. I'm based in Milton Keynes and run my own funeral. I'm, I've been an undertaker for 15 years. Um, Ten of those were spent working for one of the big market providers, uh, Cooperative Funeral Care. And then six years ago, uh, so it's nearly 16 years now, um, six years ago I left and started up on my own and I've been running my own funeral home in Milton Keynes ever since. I told you before, off the off the line, I'm a Bedford boy. I was born in Bedford, so it's not far down the... Uh, no, no, we, we, uh, we go there now and again. Yeah, everybody goes to bed for now and again, but not too often. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my um, some of my family live there. And they always moan about the roundabouts and how only one of their wheels needs changing every so often because you go around the yeah, roundabouts. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Grid square. <laughs> anyway, um, right, okay. So I remember seeing you um, doing some stuff right at the, at the beginning uh, of all this kind of stuff, and I want. I was. It's been interesting to see your your progression, your journey. Um, and the video that I saw of you was when you were speaking out at the time about how there weren't any um, bodies piling up outside your establishment and anybody could phone you at any time. And it was a video of a gentleman who phoned you and he recorded the call. Um, and you were just so honest. And and, and and even he said at the end of the video, you know, that what, what a really nice guy and everything else. And I thought, right, this guy's, you know, not many people just put their number out for people to call you. Um, it's a very, um, it's an interesting thing actually because I, I, um, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I believed in COVID probably for about twelve, fourteen, maybe even sixteen weeks, and then uh, I began to see the cracks in it. And for me, um, it was a number of things. But I, I'm a big fan of YouTube, so I'll go on there. I like documentaries, and I'm well into history. You know, I love history and. And you can go on YouTube and you can, there's a lot of bullshit on there, let's be honest, but there's a lot of good stuff as well, you know, especially if you're into history and, and you know, UFOs and looking at all different sorts of subjects. And um, I kept seeing all these COVID posts um, on YouTube because they were pushing the narrative and trying to push the hysteria. And I um, I, I kind of um, clicked on one and I had a look through and I'm scrolling through and I kind of, uh, I, I felt the urge to comment, you know, and I kind of said, listen, as a funeral director, that's not what I'm seeing, you know. Uh, and, you know, in, in fact, it's very different. There is no excess death rate and blah, blah, blah. And there was, uh, I don't know, a couple of paragraphs post. And, and um, I, I kept um, getting notified every time there was a like on it. And after about 10 days, there was about 500 likes. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I've kind of, um, you know, hit, hit a sensitive nerve or other people are seeing what I'm seeing, not necessarily – um, undertakers at that time but um, I was watching it about three o'clock one morning because I'm a night owl um, and all of a sudden I got kicked off YouTube and I couldn't understand you know um, uh, and but just prior to that I had one of the comments said you're not an undertaker you're an activist and then you kind of got you know um, 
two choices, haven't you? You can either shut up uh, mm. or you have to identify yourself. And that's why I've identified myself. And I said, well, actually, do you know what? I am an undertaker and this is me. And I put the website link in there. And literally within about um, three or four hours, ping, I got kicked off and, and my account was was uh, deleted by YouTube. So, so you didn't even that. actually post the video then? It was just for some comments you put on somebody No, it was just video. a comment. Yeah, it was just a comment on a COVID post that, um, that I said, you know, the, the, well, I'm an undertaker. And I'll be honest, that's not what I'm seeing. And then somebody said, no, you're not. You're an activist. And I said, well, actually, do you know what? This is me. And put the link to the business in. And um, they banned me for that. But I, I managed, obviously, to resonate with about five 500 people before that time. Um, mm. And that then kind of made me think, well, why are they doing that? And it correlated with things that I was seeing. For example, in 2020, very early. Um, so my COVID story, for those who, there will be people that have heard it, there will be people that haven't. But oh, yeah, I was, um, yeah, well, I, I um, you know, it's important. The idea is to save one more life. So that's why I'm going to, I'm going to go through it again. Um, so I had a family come to me who'd lost a loved one in Northampton. Um, I go as far as Northampton, Bedford, occasionally a little bit further. And uh, they complained that the hospital wouldn't let them see their loved one in the chapel arrest. Um, all mortuaries have got chapel arrest attached to them. Um, you know, the NHS guys will know that. They, they don't advertise them very well because nobody thinks about going to hospital and die, do they? They just, you know, you go to hospital, get better and go home. Um, but anyway, I went over. So I said, look, don't worry. I said, I'll pick your loved one up and I'll bring them back quickly and always make a point of doing that because if you pick people up quickly they're in better condition you know and if they're in better mm. condition it's easier to make them look presentable for family and let's face it it's a service to the living isn't it more mm -hmm. than those that are passed so i always pick people up really quickly quite often during the point of arrangement i'll text the mortuary while i'm doing the arrangement so i'll then have an answer before the end of the arrangement and i do that for the family not for me you know, so um, anyway, I picked this person up and I said, you know, why wouldn't you let the family see their loved one? And I opened the viewing room door and there was a big inflatable tent in there. And this was first week of December in 2019. So I kind of said, oh, right. well, what's that for? You know, and they kind of said, well, we've been told something horrible is coming and the rest is history, really. So so um, they didn't mention the word COVID, but they said mm. saying we've been told something horrible was coming. So, you know, what do you do? I kind of told the family and said, you might want to get some pasta in or, you know, really I didn't know what to tell them, you know, and mm. this is what I'd been told that something horrible was coming. So um, they are announced it on the news and we were being shown people of pictures of people falling over and great effort was being made um, to warn us about this deadly thing. They uh, Locally, they announced that the local ice rink would be commandeered and used to keep deceased in because they expected the excess to be that much and i took a phone call from the bbc now i'd never really done interviews before um in honesty but they asked to come and interview me as an undertaker to get my take on covid and i was kind of like well you know if it helps yeah come and do it and they came and they briefed me there was a man and a woman um the guy was on the camera and the woman was um, you know asking the questions but she spent about half an hour briefing me on every question she was going to ask and also telling me what answers to give and i'd never done an interview you know i just kind of assumed that's how interviews must be done then you know mm. and um I, I they got me to dress up in full ppe and put a mask on them um i was a bit reluctant really because ppe i was struggling to get it because everyone was panicked buying it you know mm. and um but anyway i gave them the interview they wanted and i kicked myself now but i never knew what i knew then you know yeah. you just try you think you're trying to help 
Um, and then I took a phone call in uh, kind of March time from a guy called John who introduced himself. Uh, he was working for a company. I think it was called Pandemic Resilience. And there, his job was to call all of the local funeral directors in this region. Um, and he said he would do that every Monday as part of the government initiative, you know. So mm -hmm. I said, yeah, fine. I was happy to help. And uh, he would call every Monday and he would ask me several questions. The first one being, what was my capacity to hold deceased? You know, how many bodies could I keep here? And I told him that. And then he would say to me, um, how many have you picked up each week and where from and how many are COVID? And he would call on a Monday and I would give him the numbers. And almost straight away, he started steering me. And by that, I mean... Um, because they wanted this information, I was actively making an effort to find out a little bit more about the history of each deceased, you know. So mm. I was going, um, this was at a time when the doctors uh, had stopped attending um, to protect the NHS, we were told, whilst they sitting in their living rooms with headsets on on double the money. So it suited them nice, you know. Um, but I didn't really realize at the time, you know, and I, I took a phone call. Um, this guy I was telling him and I said to him, uh, I went to a care home and I picked up a guy. He was um, a dementia patient. He died from dementia, um, advanced. He was in the fetal position. I spoke to the family and the staff there whilst I was recovering this disease. Uh, he'd been there four or five years. He's, um, you know, it was well documented. There was no doctor present. There was no COVID test present. So he wasn't a COVID death. He was dementia. Um, mm. And this guy would insist that this guy was a COVID death. You know, and I kind of said, well, why are you putting him down as a COVID death? I took the time and made the effort to actually find out what this guy had passed from. Uh, and you're, you know, it's kind of like they're calling you a liar, you know. And he said, oh, no, no, it's not that. He said, but we'd heard one person had died in that facility from COVID. And we've been instructed to label everyone who passes in that facility as a COVID death. And this went on throughout 2020. Everyone, everyone that was getting on an ambulance was all automatically diagnosed as COVID positive. And the, the idea of that was um, there were no more deaths than normal in 2020. But what there was was a large amount of COVID deaths because they were labeling everyone they possibly could. And I've said it before, even one guy, he had, he'd been run over. He had a tire mark from his hip to his shoulder. He was a COVID death. Yeah, because the, the guy was dying in ICU and they were violating him, poking his PCR test up his nose until they got a positive test, you know. Oh, it's COVID, you know, and then he was a COVID death. And they were paid they were paid significant amounts for every positive test they got and every COVID death they got and everyone that went on a ventilator they got payments for. I know that because I was told that by numerous medical staff. So, um it was clear to me that by the end of 2020, um, there was there was it was really wasn't anything like they were being told. And I, I was washing and dressing these people the whole way through when other funeral directors weren't. So the way that worked is um, people were losing their loved ones in hazmat suits or via a Zoom call. You know, they weren't allowing families into hospitals to say goodbye to loved ones. And they were all dying. You know, they were all being labeled as COVID deaths and they weren't COVID deaths. So I dragged these people um, out of body bags, soaking wet, you know, and took all the wet sheets off and, and I dried them off and I washed them and blow dried their hair and put makeup on them and give them the kind of attention they should have been getting in the hospitals and never had, you know, and it's a miracle I'm alive, isn't it? You know, um, yeah, it was just bullshit. I mean, to the point where I had um, other funeral directors sending families to me because they knew I was the only one that would dress anyone. You know, why can't um, 
you know. So we, we, sorry to interrupt, mate. I've got a couple of questions. Sorry, mate. I didn't mean to interrupt you on your stride there, mate. But um, would you normally have access to, to, to death certificates or cause of death, like with your patients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Death certificates, uh, well, death certificates not something we routinely have because we don't need them, but we're mm. always off yeah, offered yeah. them. But what I do get access to routinely is um, Form 6, coroner's paperwork, which lists the right. cause of death, and obviously the cremation paperwork filled in by the doctors, which lists the cause of death. And these paperwork, the paperwork has to be scrutinised to check that it's all been correct. And you'd be surprised the amount of doctors uh, who can't fill out cremation paperwork. <laughs> so I have, I have to check it so yeah i know well, what these people were labeled with did you see a, a sudden switch then from 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 obviously normal causes of death to, to then covid in in, in, a, in a short period of time yeah 100 percent. so usually um it's very seasonal work in the winter it picks up and it's busy um and in the summer when the sun's out that's the time undertakers go on holiday you know yeah, um, but yeah. but um there wasn't a single I've been at Undertaker 15 years. Uh, there wasn't a single winter flu death since 2020. It's been all relabeled as COVID. Um, it's utter rubbish, utter rubbish. And I suspect um, what we are seeing is a mixture of um, deliberate relabeling and malpractice, malpractice in the hospitals, malfeasance with the clinical decisions that are being made. And I can go into that in great detail. In fact, I've challenged uh, Milton Keynes Hospital and they've got no, they won't respond. So... To just clarify this, because I want to make sure everyone everyone understands what, what we're saying here. At the beginning, when they were telling you to expect loads of issues, they had pop, uh, blow up um, extra morgues and all that kind of stuff. You didn't see any increase or it certainly No, not at all. There, there was a brief blip in March and April, and that was at the same time Matt Hancock ordered all the elderly be transferred to care homes to die, to, to die a good death, he said, um, with the Greek translation of which is euthanasia. To die, to die a good death. Um, this um, coincided with the exact time that they ordered between 300 and 1,000% more midazolam, which they used. Yeah, so I've I've tried so, to look into this midazolam thing. It's it's um, I haven't had time to look into everything. Um, yeah, yeah, I can I can give you the details of a guy to speak to to get the numbers because he's collated them under Freedom of Information Acts. His, yeah, like name is, his name is Mark. He's a good guy. He's got the numbers. And uh, there's a paper trail. So the way it works for your viewers, there's um, a drug called midazolam. It's used primarily as a sedative. It's also used uh, to you to kill people in America. It's one of the cocktail of drugs that's given to them. Um, um, the way it works is, is in care homes where people have got dementia and Alzheimer's, excuse me, gone are the days where we tie the people to beds. At least you like to think so. That's done chemically now, and that's done with a drug primarily called midazolam. Um, so midazolam, Matt Hancock, ordered all of the, the people he said were COVID positive, transferred into care homes. Nobody was allowed in to see them. They were left to die on their own, and I suspect they were dying after being given um, lethal amounts of midazolam. Um, the the drug of, uh, of choice they used to do this is purchased. Um, regularly there's a long history of the amounts purchased and during march and april and, and 2020 and that continues although they've changed the protocol slightly um midazolam was increasingly bought uh, by between 300 and a thousand percent um and it's all yeah. been used it's all been used this was allegedly to sedate intubated patients we were told ventilated patients but i can tell you i never once saw a ventilator 
Um, I did see a couple of discarded files of midazolam, one on the side and one in the bin, um, little blue and white label on them. I know what happens. I know what happened. I've spoken to dozens of care staff, dozens of nurses, dozens of doctors. They're all saying the same thing. I've got a list here on my phone with um, nearly 70 nurses that have contacted me in the last two weeks um, to voice their distress, disgust and upset um, uh, about what's going on. And uh, many of them are involved in the NHS 100 as well, you know. Send them my way still, mate, because we still need to get the word out. It's, it's... Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Um, okay, so... So we, we I just... I, I mean, right, okay, because the Mahomedazanam thing, I, I know have got friends who are doctors and everything else. And like, like it's still going friends. on. It's still going on. Now, I spoke to a guy um, who saved his mum. He actually rang me up today from Wales and thanked me for saving his mum's life because I'd drawn it to his attention. He'd gone in there and they were giving his mum a dazzlam and they actually called him in saying, your mum is going to die at nine o'clock. How do they know that? How do they know that? So they're in the room. They called him in to give him a chance to say goodbye to their mum. At nine o'clock, the nurse comes in with a syringe full of midazolam and says, I'm just going to give mum this midazolam now. And he said, sorry, no, you're not. You leave it. Do you know what? His mum sat up drinking tea, holding their hand, laughing and joking with him today. They were going to kill her. They were going to kill her with midazolam. So this is still happening now. And I would urge anyone, um, check what your loved one's being given. Say no. That's it. And get, get them out of the hospital if you can get them out. Well, this is all part of the Liverpool care pathway, wasn't it, initially? But then they, they, they got yeah, rid of the, that. The irony, the irony of yeah. that, the, the care path. Let's yeah, they got rid of that, didn't they? Because it was yeah, um, inhumane or, you know, being used well, kind of. Yeah, but they're, what are they doing now? They're giving people bars solution and an appetite suppressant, midazolam and locking them inside rooms. People that are not even terminally ill. People that would recover with a course of antibiotics, amoxicillin, and go home. I know, because dozens of nurses and doctors have told me. So, you know, are they all lying? No, I don't think they are. Why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Uh, depopulation. I think um, animal husbandry. We are looked at as purely as, as cattle. Um, uh, and when I sat uh, in Westminster last September, I was called to a meeting. Um, it was discussed in great detail. And we were told um, by Sir Graham it was above his pay grade um, and that he would do what he could, but he couldn't promise anything. Nothing's happened. And now they're targeting children. You know, how many children I've had in as a funeral director who died from COVID? How many? None. None. Never. None. Not at all. They're dying now up and down the country from myocardia due to being vaccinated. Hmm. I mean, I knew this video was going to be uh, probably the one that got me binned off YouTube anyway, mate. So I've, got two, I've had two strikes. I've got one left. I was hoping this would be the one to get me binned off YouTube. So should we just... Um, should we just should we just do it and just say say how it is? It's, it's your channel. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, like, to to yeah. be honest with you, I'm beyond caring. They could do what they like to me. I exactly. really couldn't give, give two fucks. Um, um, it's a lot bigger than me. If I was only bothered about me, I'd be doing what the others are doing and say nothing. And this is the problem I've had as well because I, I met. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you now, mate. I met Mark Sexton when we went down to um, to London. It's the first time I met him when we went down to the APPG meeting, uh, lo loads of different people there. It was really good to, to, to speak to people, but our first interaction wasn't how I thought it was going to go. Um, and um, it, it, it didn't put me on the back foot with him, but it just made me realize that how quickly people come to opinions with absolutely no, um, like not fact that, that this is what happened and that's it. And it's like, well, no, that that's not the reason that happened. 
yes, it is. <laughs> and then that's it. There's no change in anyone's mind. And that for me then was like, we're, we're on the, and I'm not, I'm not this slagging the golf or anything like that. I'm just saying that was my first interaction. So, with so him. what, what happened then? Because, um, my experience of him has been a good one, positive. One. Yeah, I know. And he, he messaged me later on saying, you know, it was good to meet you and everything else, but it just put me on the back foot. So I'll, I'll be honest here. And basically, so it was when we were just about to hand the signatures in for, um, back in January and, they got misplaced and um, Mark basically suggested that we did that on purpose because just after that, it got revoked and we didn't want to have our names to it. And that was just a bit of a callous thing to say with all the stuff that they'd done up to that point. They what, was, what was the reason it got misplaced? What, what, um, what was... Someone had basically, so they, they, I don't know whether they got taken because there was a bag full of, of like stuff to be handed into Downing Street, basically. And the bag, I don't know whether it got stolen, whether it got misplaced, but it was it, it disappeared. Uh, and then they they redone it, they got it all sorted out, and they got it sent to the um to the law firm that it was supposed to go to. Um so so it was um so yeah, so that I and I never met him before and I didn't know about this either, but I knew that the girl the, the girls wouldn't have done that on purpose, you know what I mean? Um so I said to him, I said, Well, look, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like that at all, it wasn't done on purpose um and then and, and that's when he said yeah well it i think it was because it was just after it got the uh demand got reversed uh and um you didn't want to put your names to it which i thought was a bit i don't know it's just a bit like oh okay then fine but i think uh, um i think you have to remember um a lot of people are under a lot of duress aren't they and they're perhaps uh expecting the worst and if the worst happens you know it's, it's yeah fine, isn't it? I, I um, my experience know. i can tell you if it wasn't for mark i probably wouldn't be here because i've got uh so i took a phone call i've had a lot of people reach out to me one of those was a guy i spoke to a number of times from british intelligence he wasn't he's not a double agent he's in comms so he's in communications and he spoke to me a few times um he called me last november and he said to me um Everything that I'd said was true and was right, and it was part of a plan. And he said to me that as a person of interest, I'd be targeted because I was upsetting a few people. Um, three weeks later, despite washing and dressing, people labelled with COVID, I fell sick. Um, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get my breath. It was a really strange feeling. I felt like I'd been burnt, to be honest, or poisoned. Um, as an ex-smoker, um, I've had plenty of chest infections, you know, but this wasn't like that. I felt that I'd been poisoned or maybe burnt. And um, anyway, um, I got taken to hospital by a particularly sadistic paramedic who um, berated and insulted me, saying how selfish I was because she'd been checking my vaccine status on arrival to the house and she berated me. And I kind of said to her, look, I'm an undertaker. I know exactly who's presenting and what with. And then she was you know didn't want to talk mm. about it then so i went into um triage um there was no one in there at all just me despite them telling everyone how overrun now you know um uh, so i was seen straight away the girl in there was a little nurse she was lovely bless her she did three lateral flow tests um all of them were negative as i knew they would be she said you haven't got covid but they moved me onto a covid ward anyway work that one out you know not to put me at a respiratory patient at any more risk there was someone that hasn't got COVID, let's put them on a COVID ward. So in the morning, the um, consultant came around, he sat on the bed and he led straight in with, I'm here to save your life from COVID. So I kind of said to him, yeah, I said, have you even looked at my notes? I said, you know, with all due respect, I haven't got COVID. 
well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've had three of your tests and these are the tests that you're putting people on palliative care on the basis of locking them in side rooms, you know, and he looked a bit uncomfortable. I said, you know, so I haven't got code. Oh, we want to be safe. He said, we want to be safe. Oh, okay. How are you going to be safe then? So he said, we're going to give you um, remdesivir. It's an antiviral. I said, hold it right there. I said, I ain't having it. I said, you can forget. Oh, you'll die without. I said, well, I'll die then. He said, well, why? And I said, okay. I said, you explain to me, first of all, the clinical benefit to me as a respiratory patient of remdesivir. I said, whilst I look at the side effects, Google side effects of remdesivir, um, drugs.com, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, tightness of chest, blood pressure, kidney function, liver function. You know, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing offering me that as a respect? And he, do you know what he did? And he just walked away. That was it. That was the entire, he didn't even want to engage, you know, because uh, uh, he walked away saying, oh, I'm only doing what I'm told. So three hours later, I had um, a, a skinny little girl sit on the end of the bed. She would have been about 35, 40. Um, she looked really, really nervous. You know, she was looking everywhere at the floor of the ceiling. She wouldn't once look me in the face, you know, and um, she oozed guilt. She she was really nervous, really, really nervous, which is a strange thing when you're in there to look after patients, you know. So she introduced me herself. Uh, sorry, I couldn't remember her name, but she said, I'm from Oxford University. I'm a representative. She said, and I'm here to save your life from COVID. The exact same, almost like it's on a coercion handbook, you know, <laughs> that they'll read before they go in to frighten people. And um, so I said, okay. I said, have you even read my notes? I haven't got COVID. Went through the same thing. And she started looking at the floor and shuffling her feet. And, you know, and she said, oh, well, I want to offer you two drugs just to be sure. And I said, okay, what are they? She said, um, one was called baricitinib. And the other one was called toxilizumab, toxilizumab. They're both used to treat uh, chronic arthritis. So I said, oh, okay. I said, let's Google them then. And her face dropped even further. And um, difficulty breathing, wheeziness, tight chest, difficulty swallowing. You know, all the very things that would finish you off as a respiratory patient. Now, I, I kind of said to her, I said, tell me how... This is going to benefit me. Oh, and I was asked to sign a waiver to be given these life-saving drugs. Yeah, oh, yeah, I couldn't have the drugs unless I signed the waiver. Only then would they save my life with these two drugs. So I want everyone to Google Toxilizumab and Baricitinib. Google them, um, side effects of. Have a look on uh, a good one, a reference is drugs.com. They've got them both on there. And then the side effects. Look at it. Difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, blood pressure, kidney function, liver function, do you know, you're going to end up dying taking them. And I know when I pick people up or when I pick people up that were labeled with COVID and they were, um, they were coming into me, they were in body bags, swimming with fluid. And the reason for that is the remdesivir has destroyed their kidneys. So they can't process water and it fills them up. So then during that process, it fills the body cavity and it drowns them and when we're embalming and we're pulling 10 liters of fluid off their lungs because they've drowned because their kidneys have failed because remdesivir has killed their kidneys you know and i know that's what's happening i spoke to numerous doctors specialists consultants professors loads of them and i've actually been not only as a funeral director seeing it firsthand but i've laid there in the bed while i've had people that i should be out of trust trying to coerce me into killing myself these people are insane. They're insane. So it became quite apparent to me then um, what they wanted was the, the death 
of a prominent anti-vaxxer to die from COVID. Mm. That's what they wanted because, and they tried to salvage the situation because after I, because uh, I discharged myself and had a three-hour battle then, they called security on me and restrained me physically from leaving the ward. Um, yeah, yeah, in breaking the law, breaking the law. Mm. And I, I kind of said to them, whatever they zapped me with, it wasn't quite enough because I had a bit too much about me. If they have sedated me and put a bit of midazolam in me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. But I've got a good network. And um, Mark Sexton and a, a, a Dr. David came and, and got me out of the hospital, discharged me. He acted as a, a medical um, advocate. Uh, and um, I left. And um, even then, uh, there was a doctor, uh, sorry, consultant, Dira Pali, rang my wife, trying to coerce and frighten her into signing me into the hospital. So he said, oh, John will Ooh. die within minutes if he leaves. He'll die within minutes without oxygen. And uh, wow, it's a miracle I'm still here. You know, it's, yeah. So whatever it was they nailed me with, they didn't quite get me with enough of it. And they ain't shut me up and they ain't frightened me either. Um, so I'm not frightened to death. You know, I spend a lot of time in a company death. Why would I be frightened? I'm 54. I've had um, two thirds of a really good life. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm not going to let them intimidate me there. They could do whatever they like. I'm not frightened of them. You know, lock, come and lock me up. I'm really not bothered. I'd love the chance to open debate on live TV. They're all too gutless. And they've got no answers for the questions I want to ask. You know, they know. I sat next to Graham Brady at the meeting in Westminster. I looked at his face. He oozed guilt. He knew. Is he complicit? Is it his idea? No. But he knows. He knows what they're doing. And he's a man sat on the fence. And he's not sure whether to fall on the side of the people and be a hero. Or there's a seat on the ark and a lot of money for him. That's the reality. They, these people know. And that's why we're seeing record numbers of these kids falling over. So um, mm. to give you an example, I've, I've had 23-year-olds, 28-year-olds, 32-year-olds. One of the guys I had in about 16, 18 weeks ago was a 30-year-old who died suddenly. And I've been waiting for the planets to align. So um, by that, I mean it has to be a youngster who they do a post-mortem on, and they're very reluctant to do post-mortems now. So the, the greatest approach they do is they say to the family, well, it might be two or three weeks before we can do one. And they know that that's going to put the family off wanting a post-mortem because they're going to be in poor condition. They just want to yeah. see their son, you know? So, yeah, it's coercion. That's what they're doing, coroners, mm. at the moment. So um, this young lad had been chopped open. They took his organs out. Uh, and then they put the organs, they take block slides, put them in a bag, and the bag goes back into the cavity, and it's sewn up, yeah? So when they come into me, if I'm asked to embalm, I cut the stitches, I take the organs out, and I look manually to target the arteries that have been severed during the, the organ retrieval process. And they was totally full of a white growth that's inside their arteries. Most of the arteries were uh, three-quarters blocked, some of them more or less fully blocked, and he was a vaccine recipient. And that's what we're seeing. That's why we're seeing huge numbers of these athletes, footballers, um, uh, uh, in record numbers, falling over and dying on the pitch in front of everyone. Now, if I open 10 people up, some of them have arteries like that, really thick mm -hmm. arteries. And others have arteries like a biro pen, really thin. And, mm -hmm. and everything in between. Now, my, my theory and a growing number of theories um, from other medical um, professionals and doctors and embalmers and funeral directors who are gathering in greater numbers now to back me up is that if you have 10 people and they're all born on the same day, they all grow at different rates, don't they? So if people are growing this white stuff inside their arteries and veins after being vaccinated, it's a fair assumption that some will grow it quicker than others. Yeah. Now, if you've got someone with small arteries 
and they grow this white stuff quickly inside their arteries, they're going to fall over first. And that's what we're seeing, I think, um, with, with these record numbers. I mean, I, I spoke to one guy, Nick, who's a mortuary manager in a big hospital in London, reached out to me. And he said, um, I've seen a 500% increase in thrombosis death. It's not thrombosis. It's not. It, it um, Symptomatically, it behaves like thrombosis. But if you Google now shortage of anticoagulants, there's a huge shortage because there's a huge number of people presenting with what appear to be thrombosis. It's not thrombosis. thrombosis. And these anticoagulants won't work. They won't break it down because it's not blood. It's not regular blood. They're not regular blood clots. So these are the spike proteins replicating, are they? Or is this the spike? I really, I, I, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm kind of, um, the best one I saw um, was an analytical thing of it. I just want to look for it one moment. Is is on the Epoch Times. And I don't know if I've got the ability to post um, a, a link to you. Uh, there's a chat on the side here, mate. There's a private yeah. chat. Then let me pop that in there. Take a look at this. This is a breakdown of what this stuff contains. Now, there are a number of things. For example, um, like iron. There's loads of iron in blood um, around about, uh, let's have a look at the numbers. So there's 462 parts per million in unvaccinated regular blood. There's just 20 parts per million in, in this these blood, these clots, these white clots. Um, there are other stuff that's in there, uh, chlorine. So there's 930 parts per billion and only a third of that in, in these clots. Um, there's a lot more phosphorus in these clots. There's virtually hardly any magnesium compared to normal blood. Um, there's also virtually no potassium compared to normal blood. So it's very, very different to regular blood is the point that I make. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and, yeah. And to look at, it doesn't look anything like regular blood it isn't regular blood do you know what these rec uh they re uh resemble uh like uh i don't know if i can no i can't um uh can't and i was gonna i've got a, I've, I've got no samples here because i've given them out to doctors but i've got loads of photos where i've documented it it resembles calamari so it's white and and say for example like the ephemeral i'm gonna kind of show up where, where you go in the groin there yeah that artery going down the leg is called the ephemeral artery because it runs along your femur um mm -hmm. top to bottom depending on how tall you are you're looking at between two and three feet in length now a regular clot if i were to pull that from the top of an artery and you'd never see clots in arteries really anyway but it would come out in one piece from the top of the ephemeral artery the like the the groin area all the way to the ankle, it comes out in one piece. And I've pulled these white clots out of people two and a half feet in length in one piece. And they stretch. They're like elastic. Um, so I kind of, my heart sank because I know that if I can see this as a funeral director with an untrained eye, the coroners can see it. I know they've seen it. So I emailed my coroner in the hope of um, getting a paper trail didn't get a reply you know i kind of said you know i found this 30 year old he's got this clots uh, these white clots that i've never seen before and i would hasten to add i've got an embalmer full-time bie registered he's done 20 years he's never seen this before um richard hirschman is the name of an embalmer who's based in alabama um he's done probably uh 25 years and he's seen the same his name is richard hirschman um, there's another guy who's speaking out called uh, Brenton Faithful, 
He's a New Zealand-based funeral director, and there are a number of them speaking out. I've had another two emails from different funeral directors this week. So they're, they're gradually now all seeing what I saw very early on, um, and I hope they'll all speak out, because if they don't, these people are going to kill us all off. They are insane, and they're still jabbing people now. You know, They're still putting these flu vaccines with COVID vaccine in them, in people now, and they're dropping like flies. You know, What can't people yeah. see? So what made you, okay, um, what made you think that it was like, because I take it before all of this started, you were just, you, you were like, yeah, I believed it. yeah well, I believed it. I, I've had every jab there ever is. You know, I've had every vaccine there ever is. I, I, I had no reason to, but it was the fact they were trying so hard to relabel everyone. And the reality was that on the back of those lies, there was no death rate. There was a brief blip in March and April when they tried really hard in care homes. But I'm guessing somebody said, look, we've got to stop this because we're going to get caught, you know, mm. um, and it petered off. And despite their best efforts in care homes, the death rate was actually lower than 2019. Um, the, the, the local uh, crematorium, most of the crem, uh, funerals that we do are cremations, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I, would, I would say it varies. I've heard figures between 75 and 95% cremations. We, I would say nine and a half in every 10, certainly that I do are cremations. And, and there were 75 less cremations in 2020 than there were in 2019 locally. Where's the pandemic then? You know, there was no pandemic. So it got to November, December of 2020. And I've been I've been talking about it for a few months, uh, and um, they widely announced they were going to roll out the cure in the in the shape of these vaccines in. And locally in Milton Keynes, they started doing that on January the sixth. Um, and I said to people, I said, "You wait and see. You'll see a pandemic death rate the moment needles go in arms." And and uh, they all laughed at me. You know, oh, you're mad. Tin pot, uh, tin tin fall out wearing whatever. You know. Okay, then. And lo and behold, the moment needles went in arms, people started dying at pandemic levels. And it was all of the people that were vaccinated were dying, a large swathe of them. Not every one of them, um, mm. but many, many were dying straight away. And that's the only time I ever saw any kind of pandemic level of death rate. And that went on for about 12 weeks. Um, and then it evaporated, completely stopped. And then it was a real lull. And now we're starting to see um, more youngsters than I've ever seen. And there seems to be two main causes of death we're either seeing very aggressive sudden cancers in vaccine recipients where people for example who were in remission for 10 years have suddenly got super super i think they call it turbo cancer now you know um and the oncologist will will confirm the huge increase in numbers that's why people you know it's supposed to be a two-week turnaround to have a scan or a consultation people are not getting it because there's so many the load is so great um that you know and it's all jab recipients dying from cancer and um the way that was explained to me um was the the gene that goes around your body hunting for cancer cells as they appear because mm -hmm. they appear constantly number 48 is the number i could never forget the number i can't remember if it's p48 or d48 i'm not a scientist but um this this gene number 48 has been switched off so it's not finding these cancer cells. So as a result, you know, cancer is exploding in people. It's that and there's stroke and heart attack. Those are the three main causes of death. And when you think about it logically, these are all natural deaths. You know, when, when would anyone be surprised somebody died from cancer or heart attack or stroke? But it's the numbers 
the numbers, the increase in numbers of them are phenomenal. And I think even to the point where the ONS data, the Office of National Statistics, government data currently concedes there's an 18 or 17.8% increase in death rate. And I would suggest yeah. those numbers are extremely conservative. Because yeah, well, uh, yeah, 100%. Well, they're, they're, they're published by the same people telling you it's safe and effective. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. It, but, but then I, I spoke to Nor Professor Norman Fenton, and and a lot of the data he gets is in the public domain as well. So it, he says we're one of the better countries in documenting stuff like that. Oh, hundred um, percent. You know, but there is your admission, and still people uh, yeah. lining up. Well, you know, when you've got an undertaker telling you, I've put more kids under forty in coffins in the last eighteen months than I have in the previous ten years. You know, very few of them are actually COVID deaths. They're sudden heart attacks. They're super aggressive cancers. So families would come to me, right? And because I'm a, a family-run funeral director, I see them from the point they come through the door, the first phone call, all the way through. So you get close to them quite quickly. And I'm a people person, you know? I think they come through the door and they expect me not to care and they expect me to rip them off. And I'm not like that. And my Google mm. presence will tell you that. Um, so that I would, at some point during the relationship that you have with them, you kind of say, so what happened to mum, you know? And they'll mm. say, oh, well, mum had cancer. And, and they'll tell you a three, four-year story. Now I'm getting people come in four to six weeks, start to finish, four or eight weeks. I mean, I had uh, one girl the other week, I went around to see her, took a phone call. She lost her husband suddenly. Um, they both went to go and get their fourth booster uh, nine weeks ago. Now, within that nine weeks, he developed liver cancer and died. And she's sitting there doing the arrangement, sat on an oxygen bowl because she can't breathe. These were both two healthy people before they got the boosters. You know, what can't people understand? You know, I've been saying it now for two years. Um, people like Professor Dolores Cahill, Dr. Tess Laurie, mm -hmm. Dr. Sukrit Bhakti, Dr. Sam White, Dr. Stephen Frost. You know, the, the list is, I've got 60 nurses and doctors on here that will tell you the same thing, you know, but they're all slave to the money lender, aren't they? So if they say anything, they're struck off. Um, or they're deregistered, or anyone that speaks is deplatformed. You know, surely professionals, if they're raising the alarms, these kind of alarms should be listened to and respected. And they say, oh, hang on, there might be something wrong. You know, past vaccine protocols, you've only got to get one person fall over. They stop it and they look into it, but not now, it seems, you know. I don't know, mate. I mean, I've, I've, I'm not in the NHS anymore because I, for that exact reason, um, yeah. because I, I couldn't. I felt like I was being too faced with it all, if you know what I mean, even though I wasn't. Um, I don't want to make excuses for any clinicians anymore. I mean, you know, especially those people that work on the ambulances and stuff as well. You know, they're all saying that they've seen this stuff and just can't get anybody to do anything about it. I wonder how many, uh, how many of these medical professionals are actually sticking needles in their arms. I can tell you, I've had doctors here stood just there and I, and I look at it now as a chance to jump on them. When they come in and do cremation paperwork, and I say to them, so how many doctors, I said, do you mind while you're here, how many people have you seen die since the vaccination? And they look at the floor and they shuffle their feet and they say, yeah, yeah, everybody knows. And by everybody, they mean all the doctors, all the nurses, you know, the polar opposite to what people are being told. But then they're not speaking out, though. And I, <clears throat> no, because when you think about it, what is it? What are they on? 150, 200k a year. It's a very nice lifestyle, isn't it? And and you've got the, the 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 trappings that come with that, the big mortgage, the car. These doctors don't care about the death of a stranger. 
They only care about keep keeping their own life. They might be um, tortured, but it's be surprised. It's a little bit like people say to me, oh, I don't know how you could do your job. Do you know, the first day I turned up at work and I saw a deceased in a coffin, it shook me. But then 10 days in, it's another day at work. And mm. that's what these doctors have made difficult decisions 12 months ago. Now it's just another death, just mm. another dose of midazolam. Just another, oh, it's a COVID death, it's a COVID death. I'm only doing what I'm told, it's a COVID death. You know, what's even, the option? Even before then, though, so, you know, certain people, you you, you get desensitized to that side of thing. Oh, anyway, it's, all, not, it's not been going on for really. a long time. And, and um, to be honest with you, as a, as a man going into care homes on a reasonably regular basis, I can tell you there's a broad spectrum. So some of the care homes have very little care in them at all. Um, and others, I would say, are very good. There's a broad spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. We keep people uh, um, in conditions that you wouldn't keep a dog in. Why do we do that as humans? Four or five grand a month. That's why. Mm -hmm. Somebody somewhere is benefiting to the tune of a large lot of money. Many of the families that are coming pre-COVID breathe a sigh of relief when a loved one in a fetal position uh, full of dementia that's been gone for years has died. And I totally get that. And that's right. Mm -hmm. But the key element there is the need of, and compassion and consent. And that seems to be um, informed consent and consent generally is evaporated. You know, you've got people now being killed um, under mental welfare and stuff like that. I've spoke to nurses crying down the phone. So they're looking through the records. These people are, are being targeted because they haven't got the mental capacity and euthanized. And they're dying two, three days after being vaccinated. Not one, not two, dozens, dozens. You know, who's going to listen? Do you think there's placebo vials? Like, this is the problem, isn't it? No, because there, was, there was early on. There was early on. So the way um, that works is, is certainly when I was in the meeting in Westminster, they um, they said there were several different types. One of them was placebo. And the reason for that was to recruit people as advocates. So let me explain. So if I give you a saline solution, what adverse reaction are you going to suffer? No. None. So mm. you're going to go away and you're going to tell everyone how wonderful that was. Yeah, it's no, not even a sore arm. That's recruited mm. you as an advocate without you even knowing. So everyone else is going to go, well, do you know what? 85% of them, they're all right. I haven't spoke to hardly anyone who had. And then they go up and get theirs, don't they? Mm. That's what that was about. Um, so they reckon there was three or four main types. One was the placebo. One is the clot shot, where it's killing people over time, filling up their arteries and veins. I mean, this young lad, he never had an ounce of fat on him. Um, and, and his aorta and he, and, uh, underneath his heart was I would say 85% blocked, you know, um, and you you kind of see the coroners no ascertain weight in histology because they're desperately looking for a drug habit or something. Yeah, something to explain to it. Point the finger out. Yeah, something to explain mm. it. They know. They know. They they all know. They all know. In fact, when I raised it with my coroner, I was told that um, he had all the samples he needed. He wasn't concerned, and they suggested these white rubbery things grow inside the arteries post mortem after death. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Wow. You know what? Yeah, do you know what? You have my vaccine then. These uh, these people are muppets. Um, I can't believe it because they're actually really good people doing really bad things. So whether they've um, the only thing I can think of is they've signed a non-disclosure where they've been paid a large sum of money and they've done that money. And the alternative to opening up is getting sacked and having to repay it and deregistered, and it's just not an option for them. And they're now in up to there, aren't they? So they've got to plough through. It's a difficult one. Yeah, I've not heard. I've asked. I've asked people this. I've asked colleagues and friends and things as well. And if there are NDAs, it's it's higher up the chain. If you're not, yeah, 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 yeah. The key positions. I, I kind yeah. of wonder. 
Because, um, you know, if you were working in a mortuary, for example, on 30k a year, and in 2019, before COVID was announced, but it had been well planned for, somebody offered you 50 grand to sign a non-disclosure, and you'd be deregistered and have to pay it back and sacked on that agreement on that basis, who wouldn't sign? I'd have signed. I'd have been lovely. 50, thank you very much. Yeah. I won't tell anyone anything. And then all yeah. of a sudden, they've unfolded this gradual bullshit. Don't tell me these coroners can't see these massive clots inside people. I'm happy for any coroner to come into my mortuary and open up someone with me and have a look and we'll get it on camera. I'll get the consent of the family and I've got a family that will consent uh, and we'll have a look. We'll have a look together and we'll get them to explain these huge white growths inside these vaccine recipients. They won't do it because they're gutless cowards, gutless cowards, and they should be ashamed of themselves and, and history will remember them for what they are. You know, and, and the reality is, um, and this was put to Sir Graham at the end of the meeting, when the masses find out what's been done, there'll be civil war. There will be civil war. Make no mistake, right? Or there'll be a great cull uh, of unrest, of civil unrest. Who do you think these enraged people who have had their families killed off are going to target? They're going to target the people that knew the people that were complicit and carried on doing it and the people they can get hold of. It won't be arseholes like Boris Johnson hiding in bunkers in mm. Switzerland, you know, under mountains, you know. It will be the people they can get hold of, the doctors, the nurses, the vaccine staff. They're the ones they're going to target, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I, if these people all stepped out together and said, we're not doing it anymore, you know, there's 60. I've got 60 in the last two weeks that would be willing to do that if their colleagues would go with them. Some of them have said they're surrounded by psychopaths, girls that laugh and joke at people falling over after having these vaccines. That's mm. what we've got a mixture of now. You know, they're, they're, they're not all... See, I was under the impression that um, and when I first started this job as a funeral director, I thought that all vicars and all doctors must be wonderful, upstanding, superb people of a higher moral standing. Some of them are total arseholes and they target these positions of power because they're entitled and they put them in power. So not all doctors care. Not all vicars yeah. care. You know, when you mm -hmm. sit there and you look at the screen and the Pope's telling you the vaccine is the gift of love, that tells me all I need to know about that Pope. He needs to go mm. with immediate effects because he's not an unintelligent man. He's got advisors. You can't tell me that he doesn't know that what he's doing. Um, there, there, um, a lot of people need to go. A lot of people need to go. What they've done is unforgivable. And I know, I know what's going on. I'm putting these kids in coffins every week. You know, I've got a 38 year old mother or two in there. You know, what can't people see? It, it's, it's, um, and, and to give you an idea of how unusual it is, when I worked for the co op, they're um, a market um, leader. So they have got 45, 50% market share. And I work for a busy hub. Um, and busy is a relative term, depends on where you work. But this particular hub was doing around seven, eight hundred funerals a year. And I could count the amount of people under 40 on one hand that died. And it was usually young lads and it was usually car accident, suicide or mm. drug overdose. Classic things that young lads, they all drive too fast. They all like a bit of recreational coke or pills or whatever. Um, and now and again, one of them, you know, they, they go too far, don't they? I, I've done that many in a month now, under 40 sometimes. As a small family funeral director, I'm doing three or four funerals a week, you know. So don't tell me something's very, very wrong. And, and, and not only is the fact that something's very, very wrong, but 
their total refusal to acknowledge it or address it is even worse because it tells yeah. you it's a deliberate act. Yeah. You know, and I can yeah. tell you for those um, waiting for the system to punish the system, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The only people that's going to save us is us. And I'm not saying let's go out and burn Westminster down, but I think we should just not mass non-compliance, turn our yeah. backs on them. Uh, and uh, when it comes to voting, go in there and put across your ballot card. I do not consent across all the names and whack it in and send a clear message. Because if you don't, they're going to push climate change. They're going to push. Um, uh, uh, so what we've got at the moment is government ruling um, uh, with the sheepdog mentality. Right. So mm. what does a sheepdog do to herd a flock? They bark and they snarl and they do it with fear. So we've got um, no electric all the gas cuts, the electric cuts, all this deadly COVID, all cuts in the NHS. Oh, there's going to be blackouts over winter. Oh, the washer and wool with Putin, he's going to kill us all. And they're constantly keeping people so frightened. They can't, they've lost the ability to think critically. And when you think about it, there's two main things I would say to people, you know, tell your pro-vax friend about to get number five or number six. When this first started, right, we, we had um, 15 days to save the NHS, we were told. Then we, then, yeah, then we was told... Just a jab for the most vulnerable. Then it was the 60s, then the 50s, then the 40s, 30s, then the 12, then the kids. Then it's two jabs, then three jabs, then four, then five. Now, the EU Commission has just bought enough for everyone to have 12 jabs. What can't people see? You know, 18 weeks ago, Putin was going to kill us all. Uh, sorry, um, COVID was going to kill us all. We couldn't travel. You couldn't work. You couldn't even see your own family. Now you can move a family in from the Ukraine into your house. What can't people see? 130,000 NHS workers, right, on the front line, allegedly most at risk from this deadly pandemic, would rather lose their careers than take the protection. Yeah. And the government said it would sack them all, it's sack them all because it's mandated. But they'd still rather lose their careers than take the protection. What do yeah. you think that these NHS workers are seeing on the front line to form that decision? What's been their decision-making thing. I'll tell you what it is now. They're seeing these jab recipients presenting consistently and they're seeing them dying and they're asking them and these poor souls before they die, they're saying, what's happening to me? I was all right before I had the jab. I know because I'm seeing the families in here and I've got 60 nurses here in the last two weeks alone that have reached out to me. So, so um, you know, I would kind of ask people to consider those basic fundamental facts. And now they're, they're, the, the phone's going constantly. Come and have a flu jab, double flu jab. Go and get another one. You know, go and get another jab. I wouldn't have any injection from the NHS at the moment. No. I would never have any. None. No, I'd sooner die. I'd sooner take the risk and die of flu or COVID. Because let me tell you, all they're doing with these mRNA is relabeling it. Oh, no, it's not a COVID jab. It's flu jab now. Or oh, don't forget your flu jab. You have it every year. Trust me. Um, these people are dying in some cases hours after having it. You know, I know I've spoke to them. I spoke to the families. They come in. Uh, some of them are blissfully unaware, but many are very aware and they're very angry and they're being totally ignored. I just the thing is, though, is, is it, even trying to encroach this subject with with other people. It just sounds so batshit crazy. Yeah, you know, so 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 what about the ONS data? Mm. Is that is that a lie? They're they're admitting there's eighteen percent excess deaths. Where are they coming from? They're not COVID. I can tell you, I can't remember the last time I had a COVID death in here. Not even a COVID labelled one because they don't need to label them now. 
because they've got what they wanted, and that's an injection in everyone's arm. Mm. You know, what 130,000 NHS staff. Why have they, you know, I, I, I tell you, the, the government didn't want to sack them because it knew it would have 130,000 people all telling the truth. Yep. Do you know? Yeah. But then the annoying thing now is, is where are they all now, though? That's the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they're, they're getting paid. They're not under pressure and they're getting paid. Yeah, that's the bottom line. I mean, I've had to admit, we, I've got, um, you know, I know something's terribly wrong. I want to do something, but I've got three kids and a mortgage. Yeah, I know. Do you know, and, and these people know. They pe these people know that. You know, but what I would say to you is, in the world, clearly, uh, I think we all, all of us in the circle that know, should we say, NHS funeral directors and all those people that know without any doubt, what do they think the future holds for them long term, two or three years down the line? Do they think at the end of it all, as the last person is led off to one of these camps or is put in a body bag? Um, are they going to say to him, well done for being complicit, you know, and keeping our secret. Well done. There's a seat on the art for you. No, they're going to take them away as well because there'll yeah. be no one left to fight for them. I can't. Um, and I think the thing that upsets me the most is not the fact that these demons in power are doing it. I've kind of got my head around that. But the thing that upsets me the most is what total little regard people have for each other, you know, where their direct debits are more important than the life of a child. A child, you know, I tell you now, if I left here and walked across the road and I saw a kid in the middle of the road, I'd jump under a bus to save it. I wouldn't even mm. care whose kid it was, what colour it was, what religion it was. It wouldn't matter to me. So I never even thought twice about speaking out because I thought everyone else would see the same as I'm seeing because they all running funeral homes, the same thing. The pattern isn't unique to my funeral home, you know, mm. and they would see it and they would speak out because they actually care about people. And the reality is people don't the average joe blogs is more bothered about their aston martin or their six bed house or that you know their flat screen tv and the new ipad pro you know it's they don't care about each other and, and that was a real shocker to me because i thought people would generally be bothered and they're not they're privately they're privately tortured but they'll still keep putting the needle in yeah because they can still speak out and not lose their job i did I didn't lose yeah. my job. I left. You, you know, uh, it's, it's so you people can still speak out. They can't sack everybody. If everybody no. was to just like write letters or do interviews all at the same time, or like you say, mass non-compliance. Well, what, what, what I would like to see really is all of these nurses to sit down. We've all got this. We've all got this right, and, and this is um, their greatest weapon uh, uh, is to track us. The internet. They know where you are, what you're doing, who you're talking about, who you're speaking to. Do a 30-second or 45-second video voicing your concerns. You can do that anonymously with a fucking mask on or a balaclava. Do it in uniform and then send it over to me and I'll collate it. And let's have 200 nurses doing 30-second thing about what they're – and let's get it out there and get it viral. You know, you get those videos to me. I'll collate them and I'll get them out. I don't care what they do to me. I'm, if I was um, bothered about me, I would have never said anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if um, people see that, 30 seconds people have got a short attention span do you know that uh, anything more than 10 minutes their eyes glaze over and they're wondering about what's happening on facebook but you get <laughs> nurses speaking for 35 a 30 or 40 seconds and you get 10 nurses you're talking about a 10 minute video of 10 nurses or or 50 nurses i'd sit and watch that for an hour and mm. people will they will watch it they'll be horrified but it'll have an impact and it will start swaying public opinion. Because once you realise what's going on, if we don't stop these bastards, they will kill off everyone. 
They will kill off everyone. I mean, the children, you know, seven in every 10 kids is going to be sterilized by these injections. Sterilized. They won't be able to have any of their own kids. When will that become apparent that a 10 year old has been sterilized? 15 years? 20 years? Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? People need to do it now. People need to to speak out and say no now, you know, otherwise um, it's going to be a grim wealthy. I mean, what did Klaus Schwab say? By 2030, we'll, uh, we'll own nothing. Well, apparently we'll all be happy with that. Apparently so, yeah, apparently yeah, so. Not me, we'll not me, mate, not me. No, I don't fancy eating bugs. I quite like that. No, well, I, I, um, I, you know, apparently um, it's very interesting. So um, Madazlam Matt Hancock is um, going on. I'm a celebrity. And it's yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he's going to eat the insects. He's going to push out to all of us. I, th- I reckon he's going to get hammered for every um, for every t- challenge, to be honest oh, with definitely. you. Oh, definitely. Do you know what? He's dipping his toe in the water to see if he can get back into government. You know, who, who are they going to put on their next? Rose West or someone? Do you know, because he's in it. Yeah, he's a mass murderer. What he's done has cost the lives of... Thousands and thousands. I've listened to people crying down the phone after their mum or dad's been killed with midazolam. People, I'll give you a typical example, right? So I had one girl rung me up. Her mum had had a stroke. She was in hospital six weeks. She'd recovered quite well, um, but had lost the feeling down one side as happens. She was seeing a physiotherapist come around to get her back on her feet. They transferred her from there into a care home. Now, she spoke to her mum in the morning. Her mum was sitting up in bed, eating, drinking, laughing eating toast and drinking tea. She rang up in the afternoon, the care home, and the girl answered the phone and said, oh, no, she's gone. And she thought they meant, oh, she's transferred her again or, you know, no, she's gone. They nailed her with Medazlam. You know, so these are people, they know something's really, really wrong. In the same way that if you sit in traffic in a car, right, and you're sitting there and it's at a standstill and you know someone's looking at you and you look round mm. and now and you catch them and they go like they're not looking, don't they? It's that sixth sense that tells you something is very, very wrong. Now, you either get in tune with that and find out the truth. The truth will set you free. If you don't know, I'll tell you what, ignorance must be bliss. I envy these people in some way who haven't got a clue. Yeah. Because if they knew the reality of what is actually going on in 2022, this um, has powered like the Holocaust into insignificance in number wise, you know, I'm not saying mm. any death is insignificant, but the number of people killed by these um, uh, mRNA vaccines, and they're not vaccines, it's gene therapy, is is um, far exceeds the Holocaust, the figure of six million, I can tell you. I mean, I just, I've never got my head around the fact that we're going to inject something into our bodies that's going to tell ourselves to make something it wouldn't normally do. Yeah, of course. That's so, always so, been a thing for me. Yeah, so... You know. so um, they kind of explained um, the basic science behind that is your cells regenerate every two years with the exception of like your your sexual organs and your heart muscle and a couple of other bits. And the new cells that regenerate have a new instruction um, and the T cells specifically will target the host and they'll attack you. And uh, the side effects of that are obviously you feel ill and you mm. fall ill and you get sick and there's your new variant, another new variant. Do you know, um, and then when you consider these these jabs are also loaded with graphene oxide and nanotech as well, which has been well documented. You know, the amount of people have now got magnetic arms because they yeah, so... assembly. How can they not know that something's really wrong? You know, so if that's influenced um, uh, by five G or Wi Fi, they could be in real trouble. You know, I'm not a scientist, but 
at the end of the day, if someone's putting a 10 pence and it now sticks to your arm, you must have something in your arm that shouldn't be there, you know? Um, yeah, I've seen mean, yeah. I've seen a few times. <laughs> a good mate of mine, he's um, <laughs> he calls um, you know, Dave Cartland, Doctor Dave Cartland. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a good yeah, bloke. Yeah, yeah. He's a good bloke. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, I was I, 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 people know this if you're watching, but I've been friends with Dave since before this start. We used to work together, but um, when this all started and he found out, he stopped the magnet on him. He used to, he sent me a video of him going around his mate's house and throwing magnets on him as well. And then he says now he carries magnets in his pocket, or you know, while he's at work. And starts putting magnets on people and then starts getting people really upset because these magnets they don't stick to everybody, but he says they'll yeah, be good, yeah, yeah. you know, quite a good success rate. But you yeah, have to bang not, on I'm, the uh, bang on the side. On the injection site, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure whether it doesn't work in everyone as it should, or perhaps um that's part of the different batch thing, you know. There's been suggestions that there's a new protocol in the A um in the NHS that's gonna run off AI. So Based on your national insurance number, you're going to have different protocols offered to you. Um, and that comes in next year, I've been told. Um, how true that is, I, re I really don't know. I mean, the, the, the thing about, to, to get us to kind of like, you know, mass awakening stage, it's difficult because no sooner they starting to get their head around the fact that they might have taken something that wasn't good for them. Uh, then there's other people talking about 5G nanoparticles and and people having mac addresses and all that it cannot you can see, yeah of course so it's really difficult to um to pitch absorb the, it all yeah absorb it all. yeah and, i think the, the the trouble is this nowadays we live in a society that there's fundamental changes that have happened since i was a kid now i'm 54 and when i was a kid there weren't no mobile phones there was no internet you know mm. you had a telephone in your house if you were lucky and there was a pay phone down the end of the road I had a yellow chopper and something called the Great Outdoors, and everyone in my street knew each other. And you went and knocked on the door, mm. Jimmy coming out, you know, and, mm. and there was real community. What they've done is is a deliberate effort to divide and conquer, and everyone's in their own little world now, and they think they're better off because they've got iPads. Yeah. And, and, you know, you watch mothers going down the roads like that with a pram looking at their phone and not engaging with their baby. Whole families in restaurants like that, more bothered about mm. their virtual life. And people get home from work, they're bothered about um, Netflix, TikTok, Facebook. You know, they're not interested in each other anymore. So uh, when you look at, for example, um, the Coronavirus Act. Now, now, when that legislation was passed, I looked at that and I was fucking horrified. I know, right? Yeah, but if I Horrendous. said that to someone and I said, have you looked at the Coronavirus Act? It means that they can drag you out of your house and force vaccinate you. They go... Oh, yeah. They're not interested. They're just yeah. not interested. You know, it's almost um, as though that part of the, the brain, the critical thinking part, the, somewhere in the cortex is gone and they're mm. just not interested. They don't think critically um, and they don't care what legislation goes through an empty house six o'clock on a Sunday evening. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is, sadly. It's kind of like we've been bred like that, though, because, I mean, I'm 42, so I remember the times, obviously, you talk about, but I remember being, I was 20, obviously, when the when the internet came about, so I was kind of, like, young enough to embrace it, but it was, I was in the army at the time, so it, it obviously it takes a while okay. for the army to embrace anything, <laughs> new technology-wise and stuff, but but just having the conversation, it was like you were saying about the advocates and things, when I was, you know, in a couple of army groups on Facebook, just, you know, when I was going through my kind of trying to wake everyone up face, <laughs> which you quickly realise is, is difficult 
uh, I was trying to say to people that just read, but their advocate was like, you say, oh yeah, it's fine. I've done it. You'll be all right. You'll, you'll be up and about and walking in a few days. And, and you think, well, that's not, that's not like a medical a trial, mate. That's not, you know, but people, but that was, it. that was all it took. It was, you know, it was so I, think the, um, I think soldiers have always been guinea pigs though, haven't they? Historically. Um, yeah. I mean, there's know, stuff I, 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 I don't know what it was. To be no, honest. of course. You know, um, I, I looked at a price list once for organs, and most of them come off the fittest and youngest um, battle casualties that yeah. um, stay alive just long enough to get them back in the country, <laughs> and then they pass away. And a heart is one hundred and twenty thousand dollars was an interesting price. Um, who I remember buys it? once who buys well, it? Someone with a lot of money who needs a heart for their kid, or, or you know, for right. for them, you know. So yeah, there's a market out there. There's a market out there. You know, if you had enough money, um, anything's for sale. People seem to do anything for money, including murder, don't they? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, th I think sometimes, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm NHS paramedic, so I, I still have that. People are good in me sometimes. Yeah. And every yeah, now yeah, and again, yeah. I just get slapped going, yeah, no, people are yeah. good. The most majority of people are good, but there's some real horrible evil ones uh, out there as well. There, there is. And, and um, it never fails to amaze me what lengths people will go to for, for bits of paper. You know, mm. what would you do? What would it take to make you complicit? Would it be a seat on the ark? Would it be loads of money? Would it be coercion or being threatened or blackmailed? Or what would it take you to to be part of killing a good swathe of the population? I really don't understand. There'd be no amount of money would ever make me complicit. Um, and I, I've, been offered, I, I've been offered money. Really? Yeah, yeah. So last year I, I started 85K was the last offer. 85K? That's yeah, yeah. life-changing, no, though, is it? Yeah, it's, it weren't enough. Now, it would have cleared my mortgage. Um, oh, but yeah. um, so that was a girl called Yvonne Myers who wrote to me from um, RT News. She said she was from, and it weren't RT News, I don't think. But mm. they, um, she asked for my stories and exclusive. She said they've got a network all over the globe, and they would do three or four interviews, 40-minute um, or an hour interviews, and then tout that to the networks, and depending on how successful it was, um, and I'd have to be legally obligated to them. So I'd have to sign a contract and they would pay me 85K. Um, so I kind of said to her, listen, I'm happy to talk to you, um, uh, but I'm not signing anything and I don't want any money, you know, because what would happen? They'd offer it to all the networks. The networks would turn it down because they're not allowed to broadcast that. And yeah. then it goes in the bottom drawer and I can't talk to anyone ever again about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be prepared to do that. Why would I want to do that? You know, that made me complicit. I it's don't very want clever to way about yeah. silence, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, mm. if they well, not really, not clever enough. If they'd come mm. in with two mil, two mil or something, I might have uh, yeah, been more tempted. Different. But I wouldn't. I'd sooner own my own money. You know, it's not about money. What good is money going to be? I mean, the, the financial systems. Anyway, <laughs> it's going mean, to be worth nothing soon, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> fiat, it's all fiat currency. Um, they've done all the money. Mm. Yeah. And, and this but, is the problem. This is the thing when you start looking because I was completely not asleep, um, but. You know, I wasn't aware of, of the entirety of what was going on. And then when I started looking into things, you don't realize COVID is only a small part. Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, well, I kind of. Um, so so one of the I was surprised how much traction I gained, to be honest with you. I thought I would speak uh, and people would listen and that would be the end of it. It would, you know, it would fall over. But it hasn't. And I've had to speak more and more and more to try and save as many as I possibly can. And and then you get people reach out to you, people like yourself. We would have mm. never spoke pre-COVID. Mm. I would have never met yeah. you probably. Um, yeah. But I, I've spoke to people I never thought I would speak to, politicians, 
Secret Service, British Secret Service, comms officers I've spoke to. I never thought I'd speak to anyone like that. Um, po politicians, uh, what military men. What Secret Service speaking to you about? What are they getting in touch with? Uh, yeah, to basically to confirm that what I'd said was true. And to warn me, I was given a warning. Yeah, that I'd I know what I said was true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that's the thing. I think these people, um, do you know, if you listen to someone talk, they ooze sincerity in the same way that as they do ooze guilt, don't they? You can mm, see from yeah. them. And yeah. I think people resonated with me because they knew that I had nothing to gain and everything to lose. And yet still here I am bearing my soul. And we all know the price of honesty. You know, look at mm. uh, Dr. David Kelly and the mm. weapons of mass destruction, you know. So so yeah. um, and, and I know what they try to bump me off in hospital. I know they know. I've even emailed um, Kate Jarman, the head of um, the, the media outlet and the, and the legal side of Milton Keynes Hospital, fully describing my um, my experience there and CCing in about 10, 15 other doctors and um, never even got a reply, you know. No. So they, she knows, she knows. They're scumbags, absolute scumbags. And um, do you know, I, I hope they can look at their self in the mirror, look at their bank account and think it was all worth it. This, I mean, there has to be, they have to, how do they tap? Because it's the, it's the type of people that have got a bit of evil inside them or it must be. But yeah, how do, how yeah, do they definitely. Like, find that <laughs> but, and tap I mean, into it? Well, I think if you, uh, it's very interesting because none of the military guys. So the uh, there's UN soldiers pouring into the country now. Uh, mingling oh, in with refugees. I, I've, I've heard this. I've heard this as yeah, well. Yeah, so, so it's another thing as well that's kind of like difficult. Yeah, for people. It's, it's difficult to believe, but I, I was kind of told by this British uh, intelligence guy. So the way that's working is is the Black Watch Regiment are training them in Antalya in Turkey and in the west of Ukraine. This is um, officer ranks down to sergeant. They're then being shipped to France, and then from France they're being put in with the new recruits after they sign the uh, Official Secrets Act. And these guys, they stick out like sore thumbs because they're military men. They've got a certain gait and the mm. posture and the way they carry themselves. And, of course, they've got that crisp haircut. So mm. they stick out like sore thumbs. And they're being popped all over the country in hotels. In fact, I, don't, I think there's loads of places. There ain't no room in any hotels anymore, is there? Because they well, there filled was that, them up. There was that hotel in uh... Uh, Devon that wrote refused to house them, didn't it? And published its yeah, response. Yeah, it said that the yeah. government asked them to rent out all their rooms for three hundred. That's right. Yeah, for, for a year. For a yeah, year. Um, and, it, and, it, and it, in fact, there was other people who had been kicked out of their hotel rooms, haven't they? Got back and found their belongings and been moved to another hotel. So, yeah. so um, I don't doubt these people. Um, I also spoke to the girlfriend of one of these guys that come over on a boat, and he told her, he said, "You don't know why we're here." He said, this is why we're here. These are UN soldiers and they're being, um, they'll be deployed at some point uh, for an, a lockdown and, and it's going to work on uh, humanitarian grounds initially. So with the engineered food shortage, they're going to be giving yeah. out rations. Um, and, and so people are used to seeing them on the streets. And then when there's a climate change lockdown, oh, we're going to enforce that lockdown to make sure everyone plays their part in saving our planet and rinse and repeat. You know, so, so um, it's, it's, you're right in that it is certainly part of a much bigger plan. And I never fully realized really until some of these people who are very influential um, and some very eminent people uh, have, um, uh, have bared their soul and told me the truth, you know. Uh, and mm. I think pr probably they see what I do and know that I can be trusted to, com um, to keep confidence as well. So I wouldn't well, you can't, betray you can't really lie, mate. You can't lie. That was the thing because you, you're, you're, you're an undertaker, bro. You're like at the end of the line. Yeah, <laughs> of no course. I, well, 
I only pick up the care where you guys um, leave off. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a service to the living, isn't it? Let's be honest. Of course. But the amount of pain and agony I've seen in in these people um, because of what they've done with this is unforgivable. I'd never forgive them. And um, I hope um, my live. I, I, my, I live now in the hope that I'll see Nuremberg too and can testify. To be honest with you, because what they've done is unforgivable. These people are demons. You think that will happen? No, I don't. I think people power is the only thing that's going to um, that's going to do it. To be honest yeah. with you, that's the sad reality. Um, but people they don't realise there's a war going on because there's no bullets being fired and there's no blood. Yeah. Yep. How do you get there? Do you think? Uh, I think sadly, you know, as a bloke that cares very much about people. I think that was one of the hardest things for me to accept was that I'm not going to be able to save everyone. Some people are not going to listen and they're going to yeah. go to their grave believing it was, um, uh, it, was co- it was COVID yeah. and, and um, they've died because we haven't had ours. You know, um, it is what it is, sadly. And I've come to the realisation of that. Some people are blissfully unaware that come in here and have lost a 30-year-old. Yeah, another one. Um, some of them are very aware and very angry. Uh, and they recruited then to our ranks, you know. Yeah. Um, if and once you're awake, you can't go. Back, you can't go back to sleep nah, once you're, nah, once you're awake. Nah, you can't go back. ignorance really is bliss. That's one thing mm. I've learned. Mm. It must be. It must be bliss. I can't. I'd love to have my old life back. But um, yeah. all these, all these um, lies started coming through, and then all these young people started dying. And um, my mortuary book tells the story. Really, it's bloody sad, mate. I can tell you. I was going to say that's it. You, you love documentation, you know, uh, official data. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, was there a trend after the rollout? Yeah. So basically, everyone that got jabbed suddenly died. <laughs> you know, people that were getting jabbed. So there was a pandemic death rate in the most vulnerable because they were the ones being jabbed, and mm. then it slowly got younger as they jabbed the younger and younger people. So you know, at the moment they were rolling out to the forty-year-olds, there was loads of forty-year-olds coming in dying. The moment they come out and to the 20 and 30 year olds, there was 20 and 30 year olds coming through in numbers that I've just never seen, you know, uh, and now they're kind of normalizing it with adverts. I mean, I watched one the other week was a young girl saying, oh, I wanted to be um, a, a fashion designer. But then um, I got sick and my heart was unwell and they gave me this medicine. And, you know, when you're trying to normalize myocardia in kids, mm. do you know how many kids I've been out undertake 15 years, 10 of those. 16 years now 10 of those working for the co-op do you know how many kids i've seen that have, have come in that have died from myocardia none probably is it i'm not saying say, yeah, yeah because it just doesn't happen i'm not saying it never happens there of course there's that one in a million or whatever but that's mm. what the number really is they're normalizing it now you know it's they're normalizing it but all these kids have got one thing in common they've had this gene therapy and that's what's killing them that's what's killing them but um i just ah oh, just kind of despair it's, it's if, if I knew what to say to convince people, I mean, other than have them in here on work experience and say, oh, look, another 30 year old. Oh, look, another 25 year old. Oh, look, another 42 year old. Mm. You know, just to, what can you do to wake them up? And, and um, I know certainly with my brother and um, uh, another guy that's a good friend of mine, since they've been multiple jabbed, they seem to have lost the ability to critically think and they've lost all of their compassion. So I don't know whether there's some sort of element in these jabs. That, uh, they talk about the lipids passing the blood-brain barrier and going into the brain. I don't know if there's something in there that maybe affects the ability to think critically, um, but certainly some of these people are deeply entrenched and I don't think can be saved. I think they're going to keep lining up 
and and it was put to us at the meeting in Westminster last September is Russian roulette when you go and get a jab. So you're either lucky or you're not. You know, how many times can you be lucky? Once, twice, three, four, five. Well, they've just bought enough for 12 for everyone. So, so you know, can you be lucky 12 times? No. Who was the meeting with in, in Westminster? So I got a call from um, uh, Mark Sexton, uh, believe mm. it or not, um, uh, last September, beginning of September, and he invited me to a meeting in Westminster because he'd seen what I'd said and felt that I, you know, I could contribute to the meeting. So we were due to go and uh, so the meeting was on September the 21st. It was a Tuesday. Uh, it was two o'clock till half past three. We were due to meet with two ministers. I actually had a member of, I felt quite privileged. So I had a bodyguard on the way down. So I met with um, an SAS guy um, in uh, kind of the outskirts of London. I parked up and we got the tube in together into Westminster. And I remember looking at him and thinking, well, he don't look much, you know. Um, they never do, but that, that, No, they never do. They never do. Mm. Lovely guy. What a lovely guy. I've got so much respect for the regiment. So, um, and uh, he took me there and he sat about outside and then took me back. And um, Sir Graham Brady was there. There was supposed to be a second minister he didn't appear, cited personal reasons. Um, the Guardian or the Times, one of them reported it as a group of anti-vaxxers. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about who was there. So uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, Dr. Tess Laurie, Dr. Sukarit Bakhti, uh, Dr. Stephen Frost, Dr. Sam White. Um, there was uh, others there. I can't remember all the names. My apologies to those people. Anna de Bissere was sat next to me, the lawyer. Uh, Philip Highland, the lawyer. Um, yeah, a, guy, yeah. a guy called Francis Hoare, a barrister. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was there. Um, and we all had five, 10, 15 minutes um, in front of Sir Graham Brady. Oh, uh, Dr. Mike Eden was there from a no, former wow. CEO of Pfizer. Um, and Peter McCullough, is it? Yeah. I think he, I think he was at the meeting as well. There was about 18 in total. And uh, another lady called Debbie, uh, Dr. Debbie who's like a homeopathic specialist. And um, we had 10 minutes in our respective fields to voice our concerns, mine as an undertaker. So I told him, and then not only that, because it wasn't news to me, I knew what was going on, but I sat and listened as the others spoke as well. And it was horrific. It was horrifying. You know, many of the kids would die from myocardia. Many would be sterilized. Um, uh, and they said that anyone that's had these jabs and has an active ingredient, we'll have between two and five years. That's it. And there is no cure. So, you know, they, they, I, I mean, God, I hope they're wrong. I hope there is. And maybe this dandelion tea or pine needle tea or something can save these people. But um, the reality is um, it has to be intravenously injected into you to do the damage required for death. And that's why they're pushing so hard to inject it. Um, right. Uh, I um, And we're now, this January, we're on the threshold of two years. So yeah. the next, the, the three years coming is going to be the highest death rate um, that I believe this country's ever seen. Um, we'll see, won't we, in due course. It's already up um, 18%, and that's what they've acknowledged officially. And uh, I think in Canada, the leading cause of death is unknown. Yeah. You know, we can, we can put a Hubble telescope out scan the seas uh, and reach the furthest voids of space but we don't know why humans are suddenly dying in greatest numbers ever known shortly I after a gene we... shortly after a gene therapy you know what can't people see you know well this is it like you said earlier on it was the it's the it's the lack of sort of discussion 
Like, yeah, said, yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's not. It's nothing to do with this. It's nothing to do with that. Okay, well, let's discuss what it could be. Yeah. Well, look um, at the MEPs speaking out openly in the European Parliament. Yes, How I saw these that. People, you know, the secret deals that Van der Leyen did mm. with with Pfizer um, under scrutiny and the total reluctance to want to speak about those. You know, what can't people see? You know, um, you know, and then you've got people blowing up the pipelines that feed. Germany, gas and oil terrorist attacks. You yeah. know, this is not they're not Russia. You know, Biden talked openly about it in February. Yeah. Um uh, and it was done by British British operatives, apparently. British um, Navy, apparently, weren't it? Alleged, yeah, apparently. yeah. You know, mm. and I would question, you know, why are these servicemen doing things like that? You know, that's not protecting anyone. That that's that's an act of terrorism. Why are servicemen doing those sort of operations? Because, and I can I can relate to this slightly. When you're in, you're a little bit institutionalized, cocoon from what's yeah, going on course. in the outside world. Yeah. So 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 that I would have just turned that. I'm sorry. I would have turned that job down and said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Well, I mean, mate. I mean, there were things that I I look look at that but when I the one I did in the military that I'm a bit wish I asked more questions. But they rely on your kind of like young, naive obedience as well to not let your mates down and the camaraderie that kind of goes with being in the force. I, I'm not making I, excuses. I, I'm just no, I things. totally get it. But I do wonder as these boys get older uh, and perhaps girls, who knows, um, how they're going to reflect on that, what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how yeah, many, how many, yeah. how many um, pensioners are going to die in Germany because of that operation? You know, yeah. this winter, this winter, they cost a lot cold. of. Uh, well, they must have grandparents themselves. Mm, yeah. You know, you know. I think it's just a shame, isn't it, that people are not more appreciative of each other. It seems to be a trait that is sadly lacking. I mean, if you get a blind man crossing the road these days, you've got two types of people, haven't you? You've got someone that will get their phone out and film it, haven't you? Mm, and then you've got yeah. someone that will actually touch that guy and let me take you across the road, mate. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's bloody sad. But um, this well, is the world we live in. Unfortunately, we've let the people with the first mindset get into power and we must remove them. They must go um, yeah. before, before they dispatch us is the reality. There are, there are parties starting. There are smaller parties that are getting traction and they're trying to, you know, amalgamate together to. I think um, certainly with um, the politics in the UK, I think um, there's massive need for change. All we've got is two sides of the same coin. You know, yeah, what have we yeah. got a choice, but Sakir Starmer, you know, he's running the CPS when they made the decision not to prosecute Jimmy Savile, that kind of speaks volumes to me. Um, there is no one to vote for. And I think UKIP, for example, was gaining traction, but that was destroyed from the inside out for that reason, because they were gaining traction. Yeah. You know, um, and, and uh, I think one of the most disappointing guys for me, because he's got a real gift, is Nigel Farage. I think he could do so much more. And he's obviously been told don't and, and that he's, he's, he's bottled it. I'd like to he's see. Got, he's got a lot of stigma. Place. He's got a lot of stigma attached to him, though, as well, isn't he? That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yes. But he's a brilliant speaker and he's brutally honest guy. And the, to be honest with you, that's what politics lacks. I think is someone uh, of integrity and honesty. Um, when was the last time you saw a politician in power that was honest? I've yet to see. I don't know. One. I don't know if I ever have. One. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, and um, that's why I think people don't like him because he is brutally honest. You know, um, and um, I've, I, I've. Uh, I would like to see also a, a switch where we didn't vote for politicians, but we voted instead for policy because policy, yeah. policy isn't corruptible. And these politicians clearly are <laughs> clearly very corruptible, you know, yeah. um, 
I, it's sad, really, because I think if I if I was in power, I think fundamentally anyone that strives and seeks power isn't fit to rule, to govern. You know, it's the people that mm. don't want to rule are the ones that you want, the ones that are humble. Um, but for me, certainly, if I was in position of power, I would be looking at what legacy I could leave of good so that people remembered me for good deeds, not um, not for what these people are going to be remembered for genocide and destroying our economy and, and um, the country. And I suspect what we'll see in the future is it will deteriorate to a level where um, people are grasping the desperate clamoring for for the new hope and that will be this um, new world order i think in due course this yeah. you know where they start one world government you can kind of hear it now you know where things fall apart to such a degree where um we do oust the government and they are gone who do we replace let's have one world government you can kind of hear it now um and as sir graham said you know people in power are very reluctant to to give up that power yeah you know and these people are no exception um Unfortunately, it's a, a very dark time in human history, sadly, at the moment. Yeah, the big found, ugly, mate. Yeah, yeah. My, my, but uh, at the same time, I kind of sense a great awakening. Um, and I can tell you the people I've spoke to more people in the last two years than I ever have. And these are people, politicians, military men, um, you know, people I never thought I'd speak to. And um, it's not going to be as easy as they think it will. You know, they predicted lockstep and uh, it's very interesting. I watched an interview and there was um, a lady on there was a former health minister of this country. And she mentioned the government um, were considering taking children away and, and you know, to enforce this um, this this mandate they were planning for vaccination and that the government has a behavioral team. And this behavioral team um, said that they didn't think the public would accept that. Now, that to me was very chilling, the fact that the government feels it has to have a behavioural team. That mm. is so out of touch with people, with the electorate, with citizens, British citizens, that needs a behavioural team. Mm. That tells you they're not fit to govern. They shouldn't be in power because they can't do it. They can't. They have no idea how we live our lives, how we will react um, yeah, that kind of said it all for me. And I find that more worrying, not what she said, but the fact they rely on a behavioural team. Mm. So really, it's the behavioural team no, doing unit. the governing. Yeah, it's kind of quite chilling. Mm. There's a lot we don't know, and that's the problem. If we found out about it, it would probably freak out. Well, I, I think, um, you know, they say the truth will set you free, and I kind of bounce back to ignorance is bliss sometimes but certainly, I think the, truth um, free, the, the truth sets you free doesn't it but freedom isn't always what people think it is that they need or want if you know what i mean it's part of it yeah, it's like yeah. you know knowledge is power but sometimes you don't have a you don't have control over the knowledge that you get no uh, true. Knowledge I, is good. I, I suppose um that's one thing it's taught me is um how mentally strong you can be under the greatest of duress it's very hard um sometimes being a funeral director it's even mm. harder when you're putting murder victims in coffins knowing they're murder victims with families that are totally oblivious and um knowing there will ne probably never be any justice for them it's very very tough um and mm. and uh, you know you oh you can only imagine and i could only imagine i never i know my granddad he was in a uh world war ii he's in the east surrey regiment and uh he got taken uh, on the island of Singapore by the Japanese. And he told me everything about what happened and 
the gory detail. And I remember being horrified, but I couldn't help but listen. I remember being born in 68, thinking how lucky I was. And mm. um, this, this, um, I suspect, you know, is it will, the death rate will pale everything else into insignificance over the next few years. And, 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 you know, we're seeing it. Look at the life insurance companies, the yeah. surge on claims, you know, mm, yeah. it's undeniable. What can't people see, you know? It's, yeah. I don't, um, I mean, I see, I seem to be having these conversations more and more and more really. And it all seems to get to the point of what, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, but we're kind of waiting for everybody to, to kind of get to the same point. If you know what I mean? Yeah, they will. I, I think, um, the, the, it's a numbers game, isn't it? So if, mm. if enough of them are touched by death that they suddenly are shaken into reality and realise, um, I suspect people like Sir Graham Brady will fall on our side of the fence. Um, if mm. that's not the case, and for example, hypothetically, if they had another lockdown and all these people full of nanotech and graphene oxide were suddenly falling over uh, due to 5G, then um, that would be your new variant and it could go another way, couldn't it? It all depends, I suppose, whether people wake up and see it for what it is. Certainly, it's not something I ever, you know, if you'd have said this to me two years ago, I would have called you crazy. Um, <laughs> that's, but, that's the thing, isn't it? People yeah, think yeah. both of us that are speaking out about it of, uh, of, what, of, of you know, we've been like it for, for, for decades or, you know, I mean, there are a few people, but, you know, even... I've got a friend who's been in it for a long time and, and I've said to him, like, how did you, how did you cope? Cause obviously things haven't really seemed to happen until the last sort of two years. And he's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's not been easy. It's not been easy. No. Um, but well, well, I'm conscious of time makes, I know you said you got to bounce and got to do some bits and pieces. Yeah. Cool. Any, uh, any final words for, for everybody, John? Don't take any NHS injection that you don't need to take. No flu jab, no vaccine, nothing. And um, you know, Make sure that if you know something's very, very wrong or you've got vaccine injury, for example, tell your story because the yellow card system I know is not working. It's not fit for purpose. I've spoke to loads of admin staff that tell me it's not taking reports they're putting in. So um, you need to just boycott NHS injections. If you don't, you will get sick and you will die. And where can people find you? If they want to get in touch um, with you. So uh, it's Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services. I'm happy if anyone wants to reach out, I'll take the phone call. You know, obviously, please try and do it in um, office hours because otherwise I'll get woken up through the night, which isn't good for trying to run a business. But, um, I, you know, I, I know that I'm going to get loads of phone calls. I'll get phone calls all day from doctors, nurses. Nurses, I would urge you to consider making a 30-second, 45-second video and pinging that over to me. And I'll collate them. You can do that anonymously or not. But um, certainly I would love it if nurses did that. Something we could collate together and I can throw it out. And uh, trust me, I'm in channels that it will go viral pretty quickly so that the public can hear what you've got to say. And, you know, if you want to do that anonymously, I totally understand. You could do it with a mask and glasses on and a beard or something. But wear your uniform. Um, mm. You know, make a, make a nice um, 35, 40, 50 second statement about your concerns and what's going on. And let's get hundred of you in a half hour video and and see if we can stop this fucking madness you know because um otherwise it's going to be a really dark three years coming certainly anyway because these people have got the poison in them now mm. well however however i can help with that mate please give me a shout i know some yeah, and likewise you know if yeah. you need me to do anything as um you know all you've got to do is reach out yeah, well, that's 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 what a lot of, the, a lot of these conversations are good because you get to meet, reach out with people, and you know, oh, say, hey, we are so. gonna, we're going to need each other in the coming days. That's the reality. Yeah, 
Hundred percent. Well, John, listen. Thank you so much for your time, mate. You be safe. You be all right. You be good. All right. Be strong. God, all that. God bless you, mate. God and bless you, mate. Keep on the good fight. Take care, buddy. All right. Take care. Bye.